Hi, and welcome to the Spiritually Curious Therapist Podcast, a safe space for therapists to explore the intersection of spirituality and healing in the context of being a therapist. I am Jody Silverman, licensed clinical social worker, therapist, consciousness guide, and a Reiki master teacher. I'm also wildly curious about all things spiritual and holistic. I started this podcast as I became interested in the intersection of spirituality and mental health treatment. You can learn more about me and my offerings at my website, therachihealing.com, and also journeywithkindredsouls.com. And if you are interested in using psychotherapeutic Reiki in your practice, join our Facebook group at Psychotherapeutic Reiki for Clinicians. Lastly, if you are a therapist who brings spirituality into your therapeutic practice, please contact me for interview in this podcast. In this episode, I interview Liz Hydes, fellow social worker, therapist, and a kindred soul. Liz specializes in grief and loss and bereavement and uses psychotherapeutic Reiki as one of her many healing tools. Join us as Liz talks about her own healing journey and how spirituality influenced her journey in knowing that being a social worker and healer is her soul's work. All right. So today we would like to welcome to our podcast, the Spiritually Curious Therapist, Liz Hydes. Liz is a master social worker and registered social worker. She is also the owner of Healthy Directions, a private therapy practice in Alberta, Canada. And Liz and I actually connected about a year ago. I think it was about this time last year, right? Yeah. Um, Liz actually found me. At least this is the this is my story, Liz. So you can jump in if I'm if I'm telling <laughs> telling it wrong. Um, but Liz actually found me online as she was doing a search for thera- psychotherapeutic Reiki and reached out asking um, whether I would be available for supervision. And my response to her was, well, <laughs> I don't know whether I would be a good supervisor at this point, but I'm happy to do peer supervision. And so she and I connected and we have not looked back since. Um, Liz and I are like two soulmates finding each other on this journey. And I'm so excited to have her here today as the first guest Ooh, on my honored. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, would could not think of a better person. So Liz, I'm, I'm going to hand it over to you and ask you to maybe introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Ooh, okay. So who am I first? Well, I love to start off with um, the saying of I am a spiritual being in a human experience. I love that. So yeah. it just resonates with me so much. And I come with a lot of labels. So here goes. Here's who I am. Um, I'm a mom of two amazing adult men. I'm a mother of a wonderful husband, uh, patient husband of 35 years. I'm a registered social worker, as you've mentioned. I'm a certified thanatologist, so I study death, dying, and bereavement. I'm a mindfulness and meditation teacher, a Reiki master teacher, um, a holistic grief specialist, uh, oh my goodness, um, a person with chronic illness, and uh, my origins are Welsh. I was born in Wales, and so I have a little magic fairy dust inside my soul that helps me um, just have the energy that I, I, I put out there. That's who I am, and probably much more, but we only have a short time today. <laughs> what do I do is the next part, I guess. What do I do? I have, um, as you know, a private practice in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and my Practice focuses on grief, loss, and life transitions. And so how I um, care for people is I help them navigate through grief um, after a death of a loved one or a loss or a life transition or change. And I help them build resilience and personal growth through their loss. And I do this while connecting them with their mind, body, spirit, and environment. So that's 
been a growing journey for me as a therapist along the way um, and finding the value of, of noticing all of these other parts of ourself that needs to be cared for. And one of the approaches that I use happens to be psychotherapeutic Reiki and how uh, grief in particular and pain and suffering that comes with grief and all the uh, crazy reactions that we have with grief and loss, um, how those are all stored in the body and how I've become tuned to Reiki releasing those grief blockages and trauma experiences um, much more. Um, I don't want to really use the word more simply, but with more ease, perhaps, than a typical talk therapy session. So that is what I do. <laughs> I love that. Um, wow, so many labels. <laughs> so many ways in which, in which you express those labels. I'm curious about what brought you to be a specialist in grief death and dying. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, we again have only a short time, but yeah. um, briefly, um, grief, loss, and life transitions came into my life um, the day I was born. I was adopted. Um, so my birth mother gave me up for adoption. I was in a foster home for a period of time, and then I was adopted by my adopted parents. So um, energetically, I was introduced to a change, a loss, a life transition. And then throughout my childhood and into my early teens, I experienced multiple losses and changes and transitions um, um, before I was 20. And I became acquainted with this experience of um, disruption and uncomfortableness. And, but what I noticed was that I seem to be okay and, and have some type of resilience through this, all of these losses. I was the one that was caring for all the others around me. And um, when um, I moved to Canada with six family members and within um, 10 or 12 years, uh, five of those family members um, left this earth. So I don't know how I got through all of that, but what I realized looking back in hindsight is that I really disconnected from the storage of grief experiences in my body. I was helping people in my head. Um, I knew what people needed. I'm an empath. I have some clear sentience or talking spirituality today, and I didn't know this back then, although I, I knew what I was experiencing, but I didn't have names for my experiences. Um, it wasn't until later on um, into my 30s that I experienced a voice of my deceased father after many years of being deceased, one statement echoed loudly in a room to me, Lizzie, you need to be a social worker. That was a turning point. And um, I went into social work, became a social worker, moved into um, um, areas that were particularly experiencing grief loss in my transitions. Yeah. Um, found myself doing the exact same process as I did with all my family members. And then in 2002, my last family member died, um, my mom, and I was in the hospital shortly after that, 11 days, um, in a frozen state. And what I now, and, and you learned back then as well, I was experiencing a delayed grief and chronic grief experience. My, today, we would see it as a frozen state in the nervous system. Um, I had a freeze response. My whole entire body shut down. So I began to heal from that. And then two years later, um, another turning point for me, in 2005, I was diagnosed with MS. And my whole right side of my body shut down. I couldn't walk, talk. 
um, do anything. I couldn't feel the entire right side of my body. Um, and that was my actual turning point to learning about spirituality, healing practices um, that were energy related and moving in my work. I made a decision shortly thereafter, about three years after my diagnosis, another internal voice, which I would now call my wise self. I didn't know what it was then, but my wise self said, everything's going to be okay, but you need to do what you want to do and, and do your dream. And my dream was to have a private practice in my fifties or sixties. And so a colleague and I decided to jump in and leave our work and start a private practice in grief loss and life transitions. So I'll, I'll pause there because that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What an, what an incredible story and um, the resilience that you have exhibited throughout the years and being able to kind of turn that around and take what you learned and share it with other people so that they can also heal from grief and loss and life transitions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The resilience came after BMS. The, the resilience was always there internally plotting me through all my grief and loss, but it was being stored. Yeah. Whereas now resilience for me is shifted. It's reframed to, um, it's like a personal growth. It's, um, we are resilient human beings, but we need to honor all aspects of our, our um, body, mind, spirit, um, environment, um, and rely on those aspects to release all of those experiences in the body so that we can be more resilient in our health and well-being, right? Um, I wasn't healthy before. I thought I was, but I wasn't. And um, until that MS shut me down completely, I then had to rebuild myself. And so I, I always say it's like a deconstruction of Liz and a reconstruction of, of spiritual Liz. And, and I am not who I used to be, even though my spirit is the same, but my body is healed. Um, that's another story for another day, but MS, I haven't had an MS relapse since 2011. And wow. I, I ascribe that to um, meditation, mindfulness, Reiki, and um, hypnosis guided imagery all cared for all of those symptoms, all of those experiences, no mental health, depression, nothing. So um, I'm a firm believer of if it works for me, then it's got to work for other people. And my practice over the last 14 years has been showing evidence of how people can respond to energy work and heal their body, their grief experiences, their medical experiences, all sorts of things. It's very powerful. So powerful. And a really, really good reminder of how important it is that we practice the strategies and tools that we are sharing with our clients as a way of healing. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> to be truly authentic and honestly, to, in, in my authenticity, I was not authentic for the first few years of my practice. I thought I knew I was doing the right thing, um, you know, using the right interventions, um, being the best. You know, I was my therapeutic presence, my compassion, that part of me was authentic. But I thought, um, that these other, t- you know, the typical traditional um, psychotherapy interventions that miss the boat <laughs> on the body, right? And paying attention to the body, something just always felt off or not right and not authentic. And so when I started practicing all of these things myself, um, I took then trainings and then I uh, began to teach my clients and use these skills and tools with my clients. And that then became to feel much more authentic because I'm using them, they're using them, 
and um, we're all you know, building our own resilience alongside each other. And I see myself as a guide. I use navigation as a, a language. Um, I prefer not to be in a place of expertise or power in my practice as well. Absolutely. And so can you say a little bit more about how how you define spirituality and how you see that as being an influence in the way that you show up authentically? Yeah, sure. For me, I think I was, I've always known um, there was something more than me. Um, as a child, I had um, some experiences. For example, I had um, a dream that my grandfather came to me, um, had a conversation with me about he loved me and had to go. And um, the next day, my mom, halfway through the day, she'd had some tears and, and came and told me my grandfather died. And I said, I already know mom. <laughs> so uh, I remember that so clearly. And it was just sort of like a matter of fact feeling. So I didn't really, you know, it, for me, it wasn't such a big thing. But looking back, um, it was one of my obvious um, experiences that were, um, were spiritual experiences were happening for me. Um, what is my definition? First of all, I would say, what is my definition? Um, to me, spirituality is not religion and faith, but it is entwined in religions and organized religions and faith practices. Um, spirituality for me personally, again, is um, this idea of um, nature, universe, connectedness. Um, this universal connectedness to everything, um, connectedness to um, other realms, other um, energetic fields, biofields, um, you know, all of this. There's more outside of myself and outside of our world and our planet and our universe. And um, I don't like to put names on those things because I think we still don't know uh, we just know as in sense feel experience and many people experience spirituality in different ways for me defining a little bit more spirituality for me is um, noticing that i have more what we call clear sentient experiences i tend to and this was as a child, I tended to know what people needed to be comfortable and feel okay. I tuned into people's feelings. I would have feelings um, um, that weren't really mine, but I didn't know that. I thought they were my feelings. Um, so later on in life, I learned that, that that's empath skills or abilities um, or experience. Um, so this clear sentience has actually influenced my work and it brought me into being my you know my friends in high school would always say you, know, you need to be a counselor and I always dismissed that and thought no I don't want to be a counselor you know I have to take care of people's problems I want to do that um but when my father's voice spoke to me there was a part of me that just it, it, it made sense and I didn't know what that meant become a social worker what does that mean no. Social work to me was I take children away from homes. No, that's not what I want to do. So I was very ignorant around what, what even social work meant at that time. Um, now it's more, oh, okay. I sit with my clients and just being in the presence of them, witnessing their grief experiences. And this space that I create for them is the safe space that I can witness their extraordinary experiences. And they often say, I've never told anyone that before, or I've never um, shared that they would think I was crazy or um, that I was mentally ill. Or, and so just to be witness to people's um, death and dying experiences with their loved ones or their deceased loved ones or their childhood experiences where they have similar experiences that they, I had um, is just an honor and a privilege. And, and that. I can't 
um, I can't say that's not spirituality. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I, I love that because, you know, a lot of times when we talk about spirituality, you know, people's minds go to either religion or, you know, some kind, some kind of woo woo. Yeah. Oh, that was me back in the day. Yeah. yeah. yeah which, which I, I, I go there sometimes too, for sure. And I'm hearing like this other or additional layer, which really has to do with the way in which you create space and connect to other people on this really intimate, energetic level. And that is, in effect, spirituality. 100%. How I show up with my spirit. How and how we connect our spirits, right? Yes, I love that. I love that. Yes, the heart center connection. Absolutely. Can can I ask you one quick question? Because I'm not mm-hmm. sure, of course, the listeners would know. Can you define clairsentience? Because there's like several clairs. Yeah, not everybody mm-hmm. understands the difference between yeah. all of them. Well, in all honesty, I'm still learning about it myself. Um, but what I know about me and clairsentient, for me right now, clairsentience is I have that sensory experience of when I'm sitting with someone, I'm noticing what they may be thinking. I'm noticing uh, what they may be wanting me to know. I'm sensing experience of um, feelings. So I may notice a sense of discomfort or a sense of um, lightheartedness or um, holding back. Or so I will say it sounds like, or I'm thinking like you're holding back right now. Is that something that's fitting for you? And like, I, mm, yeah, I think so. Or right. So that kind of like idea. Um, clear sentience are also, um, we can sense other spirits and, and um, souls. I'm not sure I'm there at this point, although um, some of my teachers have said, you know, if you've had dreams like your grandfather, um, that can be also seen as um, clairsentient as well as other types of clair, um, clairvoyancy. Um, clairsentient is the feeling, feeling into and sensing. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't have a lot of visual. Um, you know, I've had, you know, with all the grief and loss and trauma in my life, um, you know, we do know the research says that sometimes that hinders us having some visual experiences in our frontal cortex. And so I don't always see visual, um, or I can't manifest a visual experience right away, but I can feel it and sense it. And then it can become there and present. So it's kind of work it in in my frontal, <laughs> in my mind's eye. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense, but um, I feel into people. I sense people. And um, I, I'm still learning how I do that. And um, part of me doesn't really need to know the logistics of that anymore. It's just, oh, okay. This is what I apparently do. This is how I'm doing it in my practice and my work. And this is my journey um, on this um, in this lifetime, right? And I'm obviously continuing to grow. I'm still, you know, I'm in my 50s, so I have a lot of time left. Should I be here on this planet for another 40, 50 years? Look at all the things that can happen in that time frame, right? And you know, thanking Spirit for releasing. Um, all of that other stuff of the last 40 years and 50 years so that I can um, carry this form and body with me and do the work. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is, that is really cool. And, and I love that you are embracing this clairsentience and bringing it into your practice. Mm-hmm. How do you think the ability or your gift in feeling into what other people might be experiencing is beneficial to your clients and the work that you do? Mm 
That's a great question. And I, I often ask myself, what is the benefit for my client with this? And I believe it's connected to the creation of the therapeutic relationship and the creating of safety for them to do the work. Um, so I, I, I take a lot of, you know, I don't like the word pride. I take, um, it's a privilege. It's, it's, um, because it's person. It, it's almost like I, at the beginning, when I noticed that this was something about me, um, I was frightened by it. And I also felt that I was being very intrusive to people. Right. You know, um, you know, I'm seeing or sensing what you're thinking. That's a little creepy <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. And oh. years ago, I was like, this is woo woo. Like, this is no, like, I would, I named it woo. Like, right. I was, uh, um, I was not accepting my experiences and my own self, my authentic experience. Um, I now, I think I'm learning over time, and my clients are also teaching me. And my family are also teaching me, my friends are teaching me that um, when, I'm, when I'm in that experience with them, um, I, I believe I'm inviting myself into a curious place with them. So I approach it with, I'm wondering if, or I'm curious, you know, I'm wondering if this is happening for you, or I will generalize something. I will say, Sometimes, because I'm, you know, I'm getting a little channeling of person. Um, I, I want to tell her about. I was, you know, I, um, I felt this the presence of my husband, my deceased husband, but she'll think I'm crazy. And so I get, I get that little channel going on. And so I go, you know, sometimes um, I've had lots of clients here that have shared with me that they've had experiences of hearing their loved one or sensing their loved one or experiencing their loved one. And they've been really frightened or worried or concerned about how I would react. And I would like you to know if that's something that's happening for you or has happened for you, I am here and present to witness this. I am someone who has also experienced something like this. And all of a sudden, I can see their body just relax mm -hmm. and then they'll just they're non-stop they'll tell this beautiful or multiple stories and i get time distortion like my, my sessions sometimes go over because i'm just so available to their i mean imagine how that's been stored in their bodies for so long as well so that's a release and a, a release of a block when we're looking from a, a reiki and a therapeutic reiki perspective Right. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that answered your question. <laughs> yes, and I, and I, I really, I can really appreciate that. And I think, you know, I'm guessing that a lot of, a lot of therapists have those experiences and don't necessarily know what it is. Right. Because we, are trained and attuned and we usually come into this field, you know, there's something that's driving us to come into the field, as you described, you know, having um, already had an, a, a tendency to be able to attune to other people and, and folks picking up on that and um, reinforcing that. And so I just think it's a, I, I think it's so beautiful the way that you describe not only owning that gift, but bringing it into the room in a way of creating an opening or space for people to talk about really difficult things that they may not have any place else to be able to express. And so going back to, sorry, going back to the spirit, um, your question about how do I um, explain their sentience? The other aspect of that is um, in the form of, of psychotherapy, I was often told by my supervisors and my, my teachers that Liz's strong point in her therapeutic process is engaging with her clients because she meets them where they're at. And over the years, what I have learned 
um, through more um, spiritual practitioners and therapists, you know, teachers, that clear sentience morph to other people's experiences. So when I meet someone, sometimes I use their language. Sometimes I act like them. Sometimes um, it, it's, it's quite bizarre. I notice sometimes I, you know, even, um, I'll start acting like some guy that, you know, that's, that's come into my practice and he's you know, 25 or 30 and he's got this language and now I'm talking like him and walking like him on my way out the door. Um, that I've been noticing more and more and more. And I think that's for other therapists, if that's something that they're experiencing, um, is important also to be aware of that we, we tend to morph um, and because we're matching the feelings and living the experience of the other. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because that's, I, I believe that that is a um, neuro linguistic programming technique called mirroring. Yeah. Right. right. That, yeah. We know that the research shows that when you mirror other people's language and behavior and tone and cadence that it creates safety for them. It makes them feel more comfortable. So sometimes we're doing it and we don't even realize that. we're doing it. <laughs> I think that's great. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious you, because you just mentioned it a couple minutes ago and it was, it's a really good segue into Tell us a little bit about psychotherapeutic Reiki and maybe starting with at what point did Reiki come into your life and how and when did you decide to bring it through into your clinical practice? Mm, okay. Reiki came into my life around 2013, 2014. I um, experienced um, having a treatment with a colleague who was a Reiki master. And um, I was curious. Um, I had already dabbled in mindfulness and meditation and hypnosis, so Reiki didn't feel too far out there for me, but it still felt a little on the woo-woo train, <laughs> as I used to call it. Um, so about 2013, 2014, um, and it, it was used for personal. I had some anxiety that I was experiencing, and I, I um, wasn't sure what was that that was about. So we explored the anxiety, and it was still related um, somewhat to my illness and um, some worries about you know my illness. How can I keep running a private practice if I have an illness? And so there was some leftover residual blocks happening there. So I was fascinated by that because when I left those sessions, I always felt grounded. Um, I have a very busy mind, so my mind was much more quiet. I felt tired, but I wasn't exhausted. It was just like this quietness in my body. Um, so I noticed those and I became more curious. So, of course, um, um, the, the uh, practitioner um, then a year or so later, um, sent out an email saying, doing a Reiki training, uh, level one and two training, and uh, um, would you be interested? And I hummed and hawed, and I looked at you know, the money, and oh, I can't afford that. And, oh, and I left it for a while, and um, it was last minute, but it had always been on my mind. I was a part of me that was like, no, this, is, this would be really cool. Um, so I ended up doing the Reiki level one and two with, um, um, my Reiki master and, um, it, it was profound. Um, I went on then the next year to do the Reiki master level training with her and it was even more profound. And what I mean by profound is, um, when I left Reiki 1 and 2 and practiced and used Reiki on self and um, some friends and family members, um, I felt a connection and felt like this was something that felt natural and, and, and another way of me being in service to others. And there was a part of me going, I wonder if I could ever put that into therapy, my therapy. 
And then I went, oh, no, of course you can't. It's it, right. <laughs> well, that's not going to go down well. Um, so in, um, um, after my, my Reiki master, um, I think it was 2015, I, tra- I trained in, in my Reiki master um, teacher training. And after that training, after the attunement, um, I had a profound spiritual experience. Um, I was in a meditation, and all of a sudden, this big, giant, beautiful dragon, um, a, a, a Chinese dragon, or Japanese, I don't know, it was that type of dragon, came up from my internal self and spoke to me in kanji, in, 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 in Japanese, in, and, and was showing me symbols. And I had no idea what it was saying. And I was trying to ask it to speak English. I was, I, and, and then I realized I was talking to this image that was terrifying me because I had no idea what was going on. And I'm in this meditation process. And what happened was I um, finished the meditation. I was sweating. I emailed or even texted, I can't remember my Reiki master immediately and said, this is what I just experienced. What the heck is going on? And she said, hmm, not a, it's not a, uncommon to have these types of things after Reiki attunements. <laughs> okay. Um, and, but what I had also done then was Googled, sorry, I wrote down the kanjis. I've never done that ever in my life. And I wrote them down. I still have the piece of paper today. And I Googled them and it came up. The answer, the, the, the meaning was afterlife. Wow, I have no idea. I know, right? Like, how do I even know how to do that? How am I? And I don't, I don't know what that means, but I know it means much more than I, what I still know. Um, I just started teaching. Um, I've had my Reiki master training, but I'm now starting to teach after many years because I, I didn't feel called to teach and now I'm feeling called to teach. So it came in to, um, my life. I put my table in my room in a separate room in my office. And I started to say to people, I do Reiki to my clients. And they'd say, what's that? And I said, well, I can't use it in therapy as a therapeutic intervention, I don't think, but it's a spiritual energy healing process that I've experienced profound um, wellness with. And if you're interested, I'd like to offer it to you, but you know, go away learn about it, come back, let me know. And so I began to have some clients ask for it. And so we would have our, our uh, formal um, um, traditional therapy session. And then we would go into my other Reiki room where my table was set up and we would have a Reiki treatment. And it felt very disconnecting and odd and strange for me. And then I went into um, this place of well maybe it's not a part of what i'm supposed to do so i my table was always in there but it didn't often get used and i believe it was because it was so separate from me and i didn't know how to really relate reiki in my practice and then i came across this beautiful book (laughs) called psychotherapeutic reiki and psychotherapeutic reiki for those who don't know what it is because you've asked me to explain that it's a holistic approach to actually um, having mind body spirit connection um, and through the art of doing traditional therapy and having a beautiful uh, Reiki treatment while you're in this therapy process and um, it has a structured protocol um, we call them the five tasks um, with its um, uh, Presence, presence, establishing presence, yeah. Um, mind body connection. And um, uh, Dr. Richard Curtin, who coined psychotherapeutic Reiki, put in 
um, the extra task of um, self-compassion and heart-centeredness. And then we have releasing, clearing the energy blocks, and then we're installing a, a corrective experience and, and creating um, and generating more or a different way of being for the client. So yeah, it's a powerful um, approach. And I brought it into my practice in 2017, maybe 2016, 2017, um, and found that clients were very curious. I brought my Reiki table into my room. And as soon as I did that, my whole practice changed. Um, majority of my practice is now done on the Reiki table um, with psychotherapeutic Reiki. And um, I also do walk and talk therapy for um, um, connecting with spirituality and nature. Um, I'm a firm believer that's another part of us that's missing our connection to ecosystems and, and um, ecotherapy. Yeah, what else do you want to know? What, <laughs> what do you want to know? I could go on all day about it, but. Yeah. No, this is this is beautiful. I love the way that Reiki came to you and the progression of how it is now coming through you and into your practice to support folks who um who come to you for healing. How does how does the psychotherapeutic Reiki approach support people through the grief process? Mm, yeah, nice question. Um in traditional psychotherapy and traditional talk therapy, we know through research, being a certified thanatologist, and, and um, the research says that talk therapy isn't actually the best thing for grief, <laughs> believe it or not. Not everybody needs therapy with grief, but if we do have some stuckness or, or, or um, difficult experiences with grief, we did know that talk therapy could be helpful to sort of address and identify some of those blocks. And, and, and the typical therapies we used to use were cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, um, we have some beautiful therapy, art therapies and things like that to do some mind-body connection. Those have been around for many years and you, you need to honor those because they were one of the first that were getting us connected. Um, but for me, Talk therapy and the CBT stuff, it's valuable for our thoughts. We need to look at our thoughts, but it's, it's not a be-all or end-all, as with any other type of therapy, and including psychotherapeutic. It's not a be-all or end-all for every human being. Why is it important uh, or helpful? The difference that I was seeing, if I just had a client sitting on my couch across from me, we would often take 12, 13, 14 sessions, often I'd have them for about a year or so going through that whole entire grief bursts and so forth with them. And I would notice that they would still, you know, experience this physiological suffering symptoms and the symptomology of, you know, I feel, I still feel anxiety. I still feel um, tight and stressed and so forth. And um, I applied my mindfulness and meditation practices and, and, and um, many clients liked some of the anchoring and grounding practices to release some of the stress and tension and get them into their body. But not everyone is comfortable with mindfulness and meditation. But it's interesting. I find more people are more willing to do Reiki than they are meditation and mindfulness. Now, that's just my experience in my practice. But what I noticed in my practice with the Reiki and the psychotherapeutic Reiki is that once the client is on the table and Reiki is being applied and flowing, their nervous system relaxes very quickly. And that's when we can do the hard work without it being hard. Because they're not using their cognitive thinking. They're, they're allowing Reiki because they're giving up their whole, they're surrendering to this experience of, oh, there's this thing called Reiki and it's consciousness. And Liz is telling me it flows and, and I'm noticing some sensations in my body that are pleasant. And, but then when we're 
noticing an unpleasant sensation, Liz is asking me to explore it, which I would never have done before. I would have avoided it, or I would have stepped it away, or uh, parked it, or tried to rationalize it. And um, what I notice is that the release and the physiological stress symptoms are much more, or they dissipate much more, or diminish much more. So that what we often find then, if it's if they're coming to me for a, a recent loss, and we clear that experience and give them, um, I, they find um, a beautiful way to continue their bond with their loved one through the art of Reiki with them. We then, I notice they want to explore the other aspects of their life and mm -hmm. other losses. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's where I find I'm noticing my practices showing up now is people, people are, are coming for their grief and loss and life transitions, whether it's dealing with a chronic illness or um, um, trying to get through a divorce that they feel, felt stuck with or um, postpartum adjustment, like all of these things that are challenges in, in their lives. And we, we seem to do some really quick, great work on that. And then they want to be back and do some other stuff. And it's kind of cool. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So that is... Um, I hope I answered the question. You did, you did answer the question. I, 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 I really have a visual of, of what that looks like. And I'm also realizing we've, we've got a couple minutes left. I'm wondering if you can just describe for people physically or logistically what it, what it looks like for somebody to um, have com comfort therapy and also get Reiki at the same time. Cause I realize I know what that looks like, but point, some of yeah. our listeners may not have like a can be able to conceptualize, well, well, what does that mean to be on the table? And yes. then I clothes am I under blankets? Am I <laughs> on my stomach? Am I on my yeah. back? Am I you know, so so what is that? Can you just do a, a, a real quick walkthrough okay. of what that might look like? I'll do my best and you, you can let me know um, if I'm if I'm running on here. Okay, client comes to me, they walk in my office and they go, Ooh, interesting. Do you do massage? And I go, No, no, that's my Reiki table. And they go, Oh, and because then they're going, Well, they're not sure what that is, some of them. So some of them come in and go, Oh, do you do massage? No, that's my Reiki table. Oh. I, I know about Reiki. And so they go, why do you do Reiki? So then it starts a conversation. But for those who don't know anything, if you came to me for a loss or a death and you found me online and you come into my office, you would be invited to sit on my couch and we would have a conversation about your experience. And as we're having a conversation about your experience, I'm exploring my clear sentience, my I, I'm tuning into you. I'm noticing perhaps that there are some things that are, are happening in your body. Um, you're describing quite often with grief, there's either depressed feelings, anxiety, stress. So I ask if you would be interested in a uh, treatment experience of um, this thing called psychotherapeutic Reiki. And how I go on to then explain it to them, I, I use informed consent, et cetera. And we won't go into that today. That would be for another podcast, perhaps. But if they were now on a session or two down the road, they would be in and they would come and sit for a few minutes. We would talk about what's coming up for them in their mind or body today around their grief experience. And then I would ask them, would you like to come onto the table and we'll explore it. So now they know what to expect because we've gone through a whole bunch of process. They're on my table, they're under a blanket clothed with their shoes off. And I um, have um, defined myself as a hands-off Reiki practitioner. I've experienced um, um, trauma, um, um, physical trauma myself in my life. So I naturally felt like I needed to do a hands-off. What I've learned is I can do hands-on, but I actually do experience Reiki much better with my hands off 
the clients. So I tell them where I am at all times. We would, um, I would invite the client to um, um, let me know. Um, we bring in the presence of Reiki. Um, we do a little ex exploration of that. Um, I get people to tune into their heartbeat if they're comfortable doing so and feeling the energy of the heart center um, and or noticing that their breath, um, noticing a tingling sensation in the hands. They name a sensation that's associated with their grief and we ask to explore it. And then we explore the sensation. So it would be a talk therapy while I'm hovering over them with my hands. They can have their eyes open or closed. And it would sound like, so you're saying um, you, you're feeling a tightness in your, in your chest. Um, that's what we would call the center of the heart, the heart center. If we look at it from a chakra, a heart chakra. So I use a language that they're, they're wanting to use. Um, what are you noticing about this tightness? And if it was a, if you gave it an image or a color, what would it be? So we use what we call, I, I've been trained in narrative therapy practice. So um, I see it as externalizing the experience. So we put this beautiful experience that they're having outside of themselves, or they can keep it inside and explore. And we explore it through metaphor and color. And then we connect now the mind and the body. The mind is, what are the thoughts that are associated with that experience and sensation? And so they'll say something. And then we move on and we clear and we go forth. Now, I know we're out of time. Yeah. So perhaps that can be another podcast. That would be an <laughs> awesome podcast. Yeah. Maybe that just doesn't do it justice whatsoever. I, does yeah, it? I know. And so I'm thinking as you're talking, you know, maybe we can do one just on the five practices of psychotherapeutic Reiki. Mm -hmm. which I think, mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be really cool. Um, so we will have to connect and yeah. talk about that. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I'm wondering, Liz, where can people find you to find out more information about what you do, if they want to contact you, um, if they're looking for some support in their own grief process. Yeah, great. Thanks for that. Um, I have a website. It's www.healthy-directions.ca. There's a hyphen between the healthy and directions.ca. And um, they can reach out to me there. Um, I our e hides at healthy-directions. That's my email.ca. And all of that information will be in the show notes for our right. listeners so that they have easy access to right. it. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me uh, today and be my first interview. On I am so honored and privileged. Therapist. <laughs> yeah, I am um, so glad that we have connected and that we are doing this work together. And I am sure you will be back many times. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Links to everything we talked about are in the show notes below. As a reminder, for more information about me and or to contact me, visit my website at therachihealing.com. T-H-E-R-A-C-H-I healing.com. Peace and blessings to you all.